Hello everybody, welcome to the show in episode 145, I am your host uh, TJ, uh, I don't really, that's kind of like my stage name I guess, I don't really have one, there is no, uh, you know, Eminem or, well I can't say Beyonce because Beyonce is her first name, but uh, yeah, I don't have any name that just kind of it's like my moniker or some sort of stage name. This is just it, guys. Uh, if you have one, write in and tell me what would uh, be good. I'll go for it for uh, I'll go with it for a week uh, if I like it. Uh, well, bullet. He's contributing to the intro. There you go. He didn't contribute to the outro, so we'll contribute to the intro. Um, but yes, let's get into this, guys, and um, let's welcome our next guest. Okay, people, we are back. Uh, you know, I always tell you where I find them. Pod match, of course. Uh, but just talking to her here, she's a really sweet woman, and her uh, she's lived a, quite a life for someone her age already, and and she's just very impactful, and she has a story connected to her child. And of course, I wanted to get her on the show and just discuss many things with her and get close to her. Uh, so, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is Nicole Smith. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm married to a lovely man by the name of Kyle, and I have two beautiful daughters. Uh, both one is seven and one is two. Um, one is a little more atypical path, one a little uh, less so. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about me on the surface level. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> Um, so, I mean, I don't know, I guess we should kind of delve into a little bit about what you've gone through in life before we get to your daughter. Cause I mean, you've had a, quite yeah. some adventures out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So actually, um, I have a master's in law and public policy and little did I expect I would get on the communication side of human rights on the global scale. Um, I carried a lot of different types of cases everything from the child bride of Uganda. I would run a lot of cases um, advocating to free uh, imprisoned minorities overseas, um, Iran, Sudan, Turkey, and beyond. Um, So I had a pretty wild uh, adventure of a career um, doing some pretty crazy things, yeah. Now, again, because... We all want to, I mean, or at least at some point in our lives, like, you know, we want to do something to impact and be good. And, you know, of course, life takes us in different directions and, and whatever. But what was there something as a kid or a teenager or something like that you just were interested in helping people with human rights? Like, what was the passion behind it? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. My my parents, um, my dad is an entrepreneur by trade, but they actually dealt with at-risk youth in the home just as a form of volunteer and service to God is the way they viewed it. So um, my childhood was very full of service. Um, We had, my mom was a juvenile detention center counselor for young girls. Um, So at a very early age, it was sort of instilled in, in myself, my brother, that um, a life of fulfillment is the one that is full of service. So I think just having that as a part of my everyday life growing up was uh, very integral, played a very integral part in what I would do as a career on my career path. Now, I d- obviously, I didn't really expect it quite to go the direction it did. Uh, but um, yeah, I just I guess I couldn't see myself being anything but um, having service as a part of what I did in a career path. Sure. No, it's good. I mean, it didn't seem like it was forced on you. It just was something that kind of came natural. But that's yeah, why, yeah, yeah. I think that's why people don't understand like how r- real important it is to have at least one good parent in the household. But if you have two, it, it it's much better because you know me and my mom yeah. have been really close. But you know me and my father aren't on that level we are friends um but we had to get to a place where we could become friends much later um yeah and 
you know, there's only so much the mom and there's only so much the dad can teach the person. No, I agree with that. Yeah, Yeah, I've always um, believed that I had a deep privilege and that I had not only two parents in the home, because you can have two parents in the home and still not have the level of uh, provision you need. Um, I had two parents that were deeply involved in fostering not just a physical provision, but also uh, emotional, uh, intellectual, and spiritual provision. Um, and so I just, I do feel as if I did have a very good childhood for that reason, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it also kind of shows what you've become and, and what you end up having to be for your for your own children. Um, yeah, yeah. To be a good representation because I always kind of go back to this thing where it's like as a person with a disability, you know, you go through bullying. And you, some of us do. We go through bullying mm-hmm. and get treated poorly. And you always want that one friend that will come sit down with you, even though it like – will t- take a risk for their uh, popularity or whatever. People yeah, look yeah. at them like, oh, why are you hanging out with the, the weirdo? And yeah. there are a few people out there that are just wanting to help and wanting to help the, the less privileged, uh, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it's very kind because, you know, like I said, we all kind of at some point want to be seen. Yeah. Yeah, and to be seen and to feel seen. I, I, I was actually in special education as a kid, oddly enough, uh, especially odd for being that I did end up getting a master's in what I did. But I was bullied as well. And I just, I remember having one of these moments where I had a little girl on the, the playground that was one of my bullies. She got hurt and um, I'm a, about 5'11", uh, so I'm a, I've always been bigger. I, I picked her up. And I brought her to the infirmary, the nurse, and she asked me why I was so kind to her when everyone was so mean. And I said, look, you're just supposed to be like, that's what you're supposed to be. Um, and those, those experiences had an integral part to play in who I became, I guess, too, because I felt in those moments as a child of unseen um, and how deeply impactful those moments can be for the negative, too, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely be complicit in, in going in a different direction and caught up in, uh, you know, the negativity and because bullying can cause other bullies. You, yeah. You yeah. can just grow resentment and hatred to others and, and then just go, okay, well, when I become a little stronger, I'll find someone who's a little weaker than me. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a feeling of emptiness and um, and they feel weak too. I don't remember my parents telling me that about the girls that would bully me in school was that they, you don't see what's on the other side. They yeah. feel empty. They feel weak. And so because of that, they have to feel strong. And this is the only way they know how. Um, so there's a, an odd sense of um, awareness that I had in those moments, even though it was difficult. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't have the guidance that you had, whether it's the parenting or, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. there's a lot of, there's something there that's lacking. And, uh, and of course that's why, especially with the climate and the time we're in, it's really important that, you know, teachers and police officers and all these people that are, you know, impacting the, the youth in their communities, they have to be good. And it's not always the case. And, and there's so many kids yeah. just growing up with just, anger and it's just boiling yeah. and boiling and, and whether they make it through their childhood or not uh, obviously some don't because of suicide and, and, and violence mm-hmm. and other things the ones who make it through and they never really had guidance they're just on a rampage and, and however they act out they act out in their adulthood and it just it never goes away until they deal with it whether it's counseling or something but um yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a it's a constant buildup. If you don't if you don't really address it, it just it'll yeah. always be there. And yeah, you can't ignore it. Um, that is that's one thing that my parents always did try to instill. If there's something that's there, you must address it, even if it's uncomfortable. You have to to go through that process of discomfort over and over and over again to get to a place of peace. Um. Or else, like you said, it, it'll fester and it will come out eventually. 
Yeah, yeah. It's if you do, and that's the thing. There's a lot of things that I have been uncomfortable with in the past, and talking about it on here. Now it's just it's like nothing. I don't want to say that I've taken out. I've taken the discomfort from it. It doesn't mean that I don't. Yeah. I still have a feeling like, oh God, like okay, yeah, this bullying and molested and all these things. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. There's like, not so much power. It doesn't have as much power, right? Yeah, and it doesn't drain me as much. Like when I first shared mm -hmm. it on here, I've shared it to a few other people, but when I shared it on here, it was like I had to take them like a week away from the podcast. I mean, I put another one out, but. I didn't really want to record that week because I'm just like, oh, like, I just feel like shit. I, I didn't quite enjoy it. <laughs> and then as I did other people's shows and I did, um, and obviously doing my own, I just realized like, okay, like, this is just, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Just put it out yeah, and and just tell your truth. And, and if people judge, people judge, but people have judged me my whole life anyway um, with, yeah. the, with my eye condition and other things. So it's like, why, what's going to be any different? Who gives a shit? Just be yourself. Um, yeah. It's how you grow and, and evolve and be a better person and, you know, and you just become the better version of you because yeah, so, I agree. for so long, I mean, one of the things that bullying really will teach you is, you know, uh, teach you in a negative way is like you just, you start to hide from who you really are and you start mm -hmm. to, um, only put out things that other people would like you know there someone would yeah. say like oh i i hate this album and meanwhile it was on my ipod or my cd player at the time yeah yeah i won't tell them that because i don't want them to think i'm whatever and yeah uh, and yeah and so for so long i just was hiding for who i was because i didn't want people to hit me or i didn't want people to just dislike me i wanted to be I, yeah it's not that i wanted to be cool i just wanted to be not cool so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I understand that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the tendency you have when you're a child, and um, those differences are what ends up making life so rich when you're older and realize that they're it's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> uh, but coming to that is is difficult when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's something you and I were talking off mic, just taking bad times and bad experiences and, and trying to turn it into a positive. As a kid, it's, yeah. it's very hard because you're lacking very little knowledge. Um, and, and there's just your experiences in life, like anything bad seems like it's the worst case scenario. Now, and sometimes yeah. it is when it's health things or whatever, but sometimes someone just saying you're ugly just seems so destructive that it's, it's you're just you're melting every time you like you just you look yourself in the mirror even if you're an attractive person you just like oh my god i'm ugly and it destroys you especially yeah. probably if you're a woman and you know mm -hmm. you see pretty girls you're like well that's not who i am and you just destroy yourself internally yeah yeah no it's true yeah and it's just it's very hard to just look at the bright side and, and realize like i'm alive and you know oh, I, yeah I'm, I'm friends with this kid who's in a wheelchair i'm not in a wheelchair or this and that and you can't because you're so focused on yourself and, and, you know, again, you just don't want to be what I always say is like the person at the bottom of the barrel because I've, I've, yeah. I've known so many people in the disability community that have put other people with disabilities down, whether it's the, a lot of times it's usually the same disability where it's like if they have some sort of, uh, let's say spina bifida, but it's like, oh, you're wearing crutches. Aha. Uh -huh. Like, I'm yeah. Not. Um, or in the blind community, it's like, oh, I'm going to make fun. I'm visually impaired. I'm going to make fun of the blind guy. It's like, what, yeah. what world are we in? Why are we doing this? Like, yeah. It's just because they don't want to be the worst case scenario. They don't, they want, they don't want to be the butt of everyone's joke. It's like, ah, yeah, oh, yeah, the blind guy. You're talking about blind people, right? That's not me. That's him over there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, yeah. no, that, that doesn't work that way, sir. Your vision is barely better than his. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, he's probably got more independence and is a better person than you just because he's overcome it, even it more. It is kind of a strange sort of um, part of the human condition, yeah, to try to to maximize and minimize um, your insecurities. Yeah. Yeah, and um, insecurities, they take over, and those voices mm -hmm. in the back of your head will just tell you, like, uh, it'll push you in a direction you don't want to go. I always kind of talk about, like, the, the cartoonish angel and devil, and they're just both on your shoulder, and one is overly positive, one is overly negative, and they're both kind of wrong. You kind of have to stay in the middle, and mm -hmm. when you listen to the negative, especially the negative one, it takes you down these 
really crazy paths and you're just mad and angry and the, the, the angel, you know, sets you up for failure a lot of times because it's overly positive because there, there is times where you need to be aware and just say no. You can't just say yes to everything because that's wrong too. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you, but it takes a lot to figure this out. Like, you know, and that's why it's so uh, interesting to watch people evolve and, and you know, grow as is a child to a teenager to an adult because you, you see how life can kick you around and a lot of times they don't really realize how much life can suck if you if you allow it to beat you down until they're older and and have more uh life experience yeah well and i i think we kind of do a disservice to youth as well to when you're in that youth stage, there's so much you can't control. And you think that when you get on the other side of that and you can control more of your reality, that life will be better and easier and um, uh, more, more joy. But when you get on the other side and you realize how difficult life is, you know, no matter what situation you were born into, wealthy to poor, middle class, you know, whether you're on one side of the earth or the other, we have different experiences uh, in life because of you know the reality that's before us but we kind of get shocked when we're kind of coming into adulthood and realize oh my gosh like life is really hard and and um you know there's not sometimes we're not set up with the coping mechanisms we need to sort of guide us through towards success emotional success too yeah absolutely um so like obviously you be actually becoming a parent like did beforehand I mean obviously you were dealing with other less privileged people but did you have any real experience with uh cerebral palsy or anybody with disabilities in your life before? um yes uh, well yeah so my my father's oldest sister has um schizophrenia or at least that's what she's um defined as so she grew up n- normal by all accounts maybe a little bit cognitively slow but Mm-hmm. Nothing out of the ordinary when um, schizophrenia is onset um, at puberty often. And hers also came on with mental impairment. Uh, so it reduced her to a mental capacity of like a four-year-old. Right. Um, so I grew up with her, um, a beautiful symbol of what human purpose was. She's just a wonderful person. Uh, though she's never been able to live on her own. She's totally dependent on my grandparents until they passed away now that she lives with my other aunt and lives with my dad on occasion too. Um, so I had a bit of an on on a personal level. Um, throughout the years, I've known many people with disabilities, but there, there's something different um, when it's your child. So, hmm. you know, I... I, I would go back a little bit. Um, my first daughter, um, I, I gave birth to her when I was just three months short of, of, um, my 30th birthday. So that was an incredibly empowering experience in and of itself coming into, to motherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I sort of bought this understanding what strength was, um, that culture sort of pushes on us that masculine strength is just this really powerful thing that you want to seek after. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I gave birth to a daughter, 29 hour labor, no medication, pushed for 15 minutes, broke almost every blood vessel in my face, giving birth to her. And on the other side of that was just this really almost like uh, the world of Oz. Everything was black and white. And I was magically transported into Oz where it was just technicolor. It, parenthood, motherhood was that, that for me. It was very transformative. Sense of purpose and um, joy and understanding about the way life was. It, was. it was difficult, obviously, because that's what parenthood is. But um, about a year into my oldest daughter's life, we decided we wanted to have another child. So we thought, well, hey... <laughs> we had a minute struggle with my first um, because, you know, just how it is, but um, I wasn't prepared for what would happen. I, in this next phase, about three to four years long, 
I experienced an ailment that would cause me an immense amount of pain that just I've chronic pain where a mental, my mental state was just very altered because I was in a state of pain all the time. Um, so I sort of was pushed into a, a medical battle of my own (laughs) that I, I never had experienced before. So that was already a first step into an awareness of a new like space, I guess. Infertility, I don't know if you have children, um, no, no. but I, when you're ready for kids, like you're ready for kids. And infertility in its, of itself is a um, mental health challenge. that It puts you in a really negative, terrible, deep, dark hole that you can't imagine. Then you compound that by this really intense physical pain that I could never escape. Um, now, what, and then, what, is the, what is the thoughts, like the, the negative thoughts? It's like, what's the direction you're going in? Like, why, what is your brain telling you? Like, you're going to be a bad mother? So, like, what is it? Well, um, it's more of like, uh, it, it's, okay, so for when you want kids, it's almost like it's a biological urge that sort of overtakes you. And I, I know my husband experiences on a very, like, a different level because men obviously don't physically go through it. Right. Um, but it's like your all of your hopes and dreams are crammed into one little space. And every single month is an emotional, like just you're on the highest peak and then you're falling off the edge over and over and over again. It's like an emotional suicide every month. It's wow. the craziest thing you'll ever experience. Or at least I have um, on a, uh, just fully tied to me and what I was experiencing. So, you know, I was already emotionally drained from the physical aspect of just the pain I was going through, but that emotional was just jarring. So I actually got into journaling and I went back and looked at it. My, my journaling during those times of just almost like desperation of pray, praying, take this from me, take this from me. Oh my gosh, please take it from me. I need peace. I need peace. I mean, it was just excruciating. Is it, um, is it like, you know, something that you always wanted and then now that you have it, in, in this case, you actually don't have it yet, but uh, you have it and it's just super disappointing. And now you just like, it, it breaks you in a way. Like you're just like, Oh, like, yeah, over and over and over again. And the, the weird part too, is that, um, so you're kind of talking about almost like a comparative game, right? So I have a daughter. Sure. I already have a daughter. And I keep being told over and over again, you just should be grateful. You have a child. Well, I, you know, I didn't realize 25% of infertility are, are second children, third children, fourth children. They're, it's called secondary infertility. Um, you're going through this and it felt like every month it was like, uh, I was losing. Well, because eventually it would lead me into a season of miscarriages too, which made it, I mean, exponentially worse because you're losing a child. Uh, You know, we we lost three of them. And where I had a small child and I remember I would lay on the the floor in the kitchen, sobbing uncontrollably, feeling like I just lost two children because not only did I lose a baby that was in my womb and I was growing, but I was losing the experiences of joy that I was supposed to have with my other child. Yeah. Um, just deep, dark despair where I would just cry because I couldn't believe that I, I couldn't feel joy, the type of joy I was supposed to feel with my oldest because I was so emotionally fixated on the loss that I was getting with infertility and then the loss of the ch- the ch- that child the children I would eventually lose, you know? Um, so it was, it was a very difficult time for mental and physical. Um, that would last about three years until I got pregnant with my second daughter. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. And that's a, that's a rough patch to go through mentally and physically. But it is something that a lot of people don't get to experience when it comes to the, the when when you have something 
or just something in life, whether it's your it's a part of your body or whatever, and like you're bedridden and you can't mm-hmm. like just like life, it almost feels like life is just taken from you. And it's it's really hard to and again, luckily for you, you came out of it. But for a period mm-hmm. of time it's you don't understand how depressing it is when you just physically can't get out of bed. And sometimes you go through it for so long that mentally you just get used to it and go, well, well why would I get out of bed? I can't anyway. Or even if you could. Um, yeah, takes, you succumb to it. Yeah, you just like merge with that feeling. And and you're now just so destroyed and distraught inside. And like I said, it, it, even if you somehow get past the physical ailment of it, the mental part takes over and it, it's really, it can be very destructive mentally. And, and it, it's, it's almost like, that's why we really devalue. We don't appreciate some of the things in our lives that we do have, just like being able to just go outside and just smell the air and things because there's times yeah. you go through, like there are people go through certain situations and they haven't been outside in weeks. They can't um, regardless yeah. of whatever their problem is. Uh, obviously there's people who can't walk and things, but in general people just don't want to get out of bed. And, and that's, why or or find ways in which to seek joy beyond the thing that has um, imprisoned you in your own mind. Sure, yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's hard to push past those moments. Um, almost becomes the sense of your identity where you hold it over your head, but um, almost the world around you tends to. Like I said, you know, I have people that sort of almost belittled that circumstance I was in because well at least you have a child you should be grateful you know I I understand you know I am grateful um you are but then you almost belittle that space that you're in um that that um the feeling that you have because well you know yeah you're right I should feel grateful and I'd have that that feeling very many times over the course of my experience um from the time that the infertility started to you know even today um, so yeah, like, uh, my pregnancy was, uh, normal for all intents and purposes. It was, it had its struggles, um, because the uh, infection that I was getting that would cause me to lose the baby, um, it was hormone responsive. So when I got pregnant again, those, those, uh, hormones sort of brought back the infection, um, which would make me lose the baby. But, um, her name is Nick Cosette. She was born obviously, but it was, uh, stressful because we were afraid that constantly afraid I was going to lose her just like I had the other three children. Um, so, but I, you know, obviously went to all the way to 37 weeks of pregnancy. And, uh, that's when I would go into labor three weeks early and that's when things would diverge from totally normal to not normal. Yeah, I mean, it had to be at least a relief. I mean, even once you figure out what's going to go, you know, what's to come with her condition and all that, it has to feel like a real relief after it's all over because, you know, you're three, three straight and nothing. And now yeah, you finally have one and, and, you know, she's, you know, maybe not as healthy as you would have liked, but she's she's alive yeah. Yeah. We've said that a lot. So her, how her condition came about, I mean, probably for your audience, they're well aware of what CP is. CP, cerebral palsy, is a neurological disorder that um, is not a condition of itself. It's usually a byproduct of one. Um, like you have a uh, genetic disp- uh, disposition to, say, heart condition, a baby in the womb gets a stroke. Uh, they're without oxygen for a certain period of time and they get brain damage and CP is sort of that product. Um, for my daughter, however, she, I would go into labor at 37 weeks, um, 27 hour labor that would result in her having a prolapse cord. A prolapse cord is when the umbilical cord comes out in advance of the baby and it cuts off oxygen flow to the child. And so during that event with like, 10 to 15 minutes um, of them discovering and getting her out of me uh, is where she sustained the brain damage from. So 100% normal. Uh, She has no medical condition that caused it. It was kind of like somebody getting in a car accident. She had an accident is the way we kind of describe it. So 
but they didn't really explain this to us during the process. So I didn't have an epidural, so I was put under general anesthesia. My husband wasn't able to be there because she was suffocating to death. So we didn't know anything went wrong at all. They never told us that, that she had been born not breathing. They never told us that she had been resuscitated. Nothing. Um, we were just starting to see erratic behavior uh, that uh, emerged over the four days we were in recovery. And then, then they sort of just, she wasn't able to self-feed. She looked like she was having seizures. She was, her eyes would roll back in her head, um, full wide-eyed. Um, yeah, she couldn't suck or swallow. All this sort of stuff was sort of uh, emerging um, throughout those days in recovery. So um, we didn't know what happened. Uh, again, they never told us. So they just said, hey, you're going into intensive NICU. We had EEGs. We had all these like series of tests, which were with like neurological, but blood, genetic, um, infection. They're doing just this whole gauntlet of stuff. And they didn't do um, this for your first child? Oh, no. Okay. No, no. I didn't think so. Um, yeah. Because it, again, it's, it, it was an, it was an event that happened that was an emergency C-section. Um, but it was the weird part of it was they had gone through this whole thing. They never told us that she re- resuscitated. That would have been like the key indicator. Hey, you know, she probably has brain damage. But they were doing all these other things um, throughout the process. We thought, hey, it's probably because they're trying to. It, it, it could have been something that was tied to it, also genetics. But um, they had just gone through all this testing and were like, hey, you know, I remember the moment they told me that she had brain damage. I was almost relieved. It was weird because we had, it had been so long. We've been in NICU for a month and we just didn't have any answers um, about what had happened or what was going on. So there was a sort of relief in knowing that it had a name. Um, And then we would go home and she had to have a gastric tube uh, because she could never couldn't self-feed um we uh so we were sent home with monitors and pumps and we had all these nutritional guidelines we had to do and every x amount of hours i had to pump it out of my body i had to fortify it i had to pump it back into her body i would do that for the first year i don't know how i kind of survived but she also would stop breathing all the time because that was part of the tone issue. She had muscle tone issues in her throat. So just constantly going through this process of maybe four or five times a day, she would go completely purple. Wow. Um, just like, you know, bring the breath back into her lungs over and over and over again. Um, and you have to remember too, this is in the height of COVID. She right. was born in April 2020. So yeah. Yeah, April 2020, we actually had to go through NICU. Um, I, I just had a, a C-section. I had to be in the hospital. Um, I had to actually go totally cold turkey off of uh, any type of pain medication because I didn't want – she was hardly waking up. I didn't want to give any narcotics through my breast milk. So I, I went totally cold turkey off of, like, healing from a C-section. I would totally by myself in that h- hospital – uh, going into shock every night in the middle of the night because my body was just so stressed and overwhelmed. I would just, for hours, just shake uncontrollably. It's just crazy to have to do this by myself. Yeah. And then going through that process, even when she got home, it got worse because nobody could come and help. Like, nobody brought meals. Nobody came clean the house. Nobody came, like, they couldn't because that's just the kind of stage we were as a world. <laughs> It's just wild. Yeah. And you can't just, yeah. And I'm sure you had to watch where you went because I'm sure COVID would not have, well, I mean, I know it wasn't really affecting babies, but yeah, you just never know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, that time was definitely very fearful. People were not a hundred percent sure, or at least that's what they were, you know, keep everyone safe. So we, I think our neighbors, um, they would help sometimes and my parents and his parents would come sometimes 
but for the most part, they kind of stayed away um, for fear of making her sick, you know, and she could choose immunocompromised because of the energy register that it takes when you have CP. You know, her tone was really tight, um, so she's always been expending an exorbitant amount of energy just to just to breathe and exist, you know. So she'd get RSV several times, hospitalized for it, um, you know. She, she had a lot of those experiences along the lines too, but it was a very isolating experience because I was there. My husband still had to go work um, and just kind of digging into this new experience that uh, I was, the learning curve was really intense. It was, I didn't have really any clue. I mean, you get this idea of what CP is in your head, but CP is so different on a case by case basis. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, I, there's nothing to prepare yeah. you for it. I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, like I have a really close friend. She has CP, but um, hers was from strokes. But she, she never had eating issues. Um, so she didn't even know how to, you know. But I, my daughter never has had um, epilepsy. She doesn't. We found out she wasn't having seizures, thankfully. But it was just these erratic changes in tone that were causing her eyes to roll, and her body were just like just um it's so hard to explain um her her body just tensed all the time it looked like she was almost dancing you know because her, her limbs were just always flailing all the time she was awake yeah. um yeah so it was just this wild ride of like okay this is cp this is what i know about cp but my daughter is is as unique as everybody else's cp so i need to le- learn her who she is and i need to learn um, the ins and outs of um, dysphagia, which is the swallowing disorder she has, that's the result of uh, CP for her. And you know, now she's not; she is nonverbal. Um, even now, she's very, very intelligent person. So uh, it's been difficult for her to not be able to speak. So I've had to learn sign language um, and teach her sign language. That's helped a lot. She still can't walk she's approaching three but um we've got a walker and we're we're moving that direction you know it's just these tiny little steps in this journey that have been um illuminating sure. to be sure yeah so. I'm, I'm, yeah i mean from where you started there it was so rocky that even yeah. if, even if it still seems bad to most, it's got to seem pretty beautiful. And, and the fact that you're, you're getting you're getting somewhere, maybe it's taking yeah, forever. Yeah. You're getting somewhere. Yeah, I understood the the concept of baby steps, where it was you know to a traditional family when their child sits up, that's a milestone. No, no, no. There's a hundred milestones in between that. You know, for her, she had these like intensive reflexes that would cause her to like slam backwards. So anytime she would do these like neurological impulses, I had to literally guide her body in the correct path every single time she did it, quote, incorrectly in order to help her accomplish those tiny little micro things, you know, Um, where, like you were saying, I think where you gain a deeper understanding and appreciation for little, little things, it seems so little I'm sure people in the CP community, parents, as well as those that experience experiencing these things, is um, that how how big those little things are. Yeah. Now, have they given you, know? you any kind of guess, like their own guess, and where she could be in the next five, ten years, or even the next two years? Like, do they feel like she will be verbal at some point? Um, yeah. 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 So, so the interesting thing has been. Two things. So when she was diagnosed with CP, the doctor had come in and it was just, she had looked over her MRIs and before having even met her, of course. And she comes in, she's like, okay, I mean, it's out of nowhere. I, I, we knew CP was a possibility, obviously, but, you know, we just sort of like, that from our minds. So the first time this physician's like, hey, she's got cerebral palsy. And we're like, uh, what? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a shock, right? Yeah. Um, sure. But she said, the child I see in front of me is a different than the child I see on the MRI. 
So even even if they said, you know, hey, she's never going to talk, she's never going to walk, she uh, she could lose her ear- hearing, she could, you know, whatever. Uh, at least I'm seeing something different. You know, the MRI says this is a possibility, but but you're doing something right, right? You guys are working hard, even even that young of an age. Um, and as we went through it, they're like, hey, you know, it's looking really possible that she'll talk. It's looking really possible that she'll be able to, to feed herself. It's looking like it's, po- you know, so they only have estimates in CP world. But, yeah, that prognosis has definitely improved that's a good. lot from that first. Yeah. No, I, so, again, yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I hope the best for her. That's awesome. Um, have you, and I, I've asked this to parents who have multiple kids before, uh, one who needs a lot of attention. Have you ever had the other the talk with your daughter of just about why the, your other daughter needs so much more attention, just because of you no know, jealousy issues or, you know, especially when yeah. they're still what she said. You said she's seven, so I mean, yeah, yeah. And I I actually really appreciate that question um, because I've been part of a lot of CP communities that you know parents are going through this with their kids and they have multiple children. And um, my oldest daughter really has had a very wide spectrum of response, you know? So she loves her sister. She is incredibly supportive and loving to her, but (laughs) she has really struggled with the concept of, of the needs that Cosette has. And I just, sometimes I try to explain like, Hey, my love, you know, uh, She's sick, you know, she needs more help, but you know, most babies do too. You got to understand like babies are, they're pretty intensive, (laughs) you know, no matter what, but, um, yeah, she had gone through like, uh, last year, especially she choked so often that, um, she started developing a very intense fear of death because death was the possibility of death was very prominent part of our day-to-day life um and so we had experiences like where she went to school and some little boy was like hey you know don't touch that because you'll choke and die and then she's got in full-blown panic attack crying uncontrollably won't speak to anybody and we finally kind of get to the brunt you know bottom of it and we're like hey you know sweetheart he didn't know you know it's it's okay it, it really will, you know, kind of having to guide her through those moments of those fears bubbling to the top and just sitting down and giving her a hug and telling her that how much we love her and, you know, how much God loves her and how important she is um, to us, apart even from her sister, you know, like we're here for her. Um, it, it's been a challenge. Yeah, because I'm sure on the outside to her at some point it may look like you guys love your other daughter more because you're spending yes. so much time and it's not the case. It's just she doesn't need that kind of help right now. Yeah, okay. and I, I try to explain too often, like, hey, love, you know, you went through this as well. Like some of the realities are just the same between the, their their babyhood, you know, like uh, that that are relatable, You know, maybe I have to buy some more things for her. That's hard for her to understand. You know, no, I had every time you got to that new size, I bought you all new clothes too. But you're growing slower now. You don't have to, you don't have to have new clothes as often. But she sort of translates that differently, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you love her more because you're buying her more stuff. No, it's pretty much the same, but you just don't remember going through that, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so sort of just guiding her through an emotional process. And I call them opportunities for grief. Like, I want to encourage anybody else that goes through this. Um, when you get to a point in which you're just deeply overwhelmed and you're just sink, sink into that sadness, uh, I know it sounds pretty a different advice, I guess, but I mean not to give away to it but to let it don't let it kind of like stuff away you you want to be able to em, embrace it for what it is right now because it, every time you sort of sink into it and go okay this hurts so bad 
let your mind roll over why and allow it to get the grieving process to happen because as a parent going through this it is grieving you're grieving the loss of an ideal especially when you've gone through infertility you know you've you want this baby so bad and you get this baby and this baby has disabilities and she didn't meet my expectations right but she did she did she's alive she's here she's present and no it didn't look exactly the way it is uh, the way I expected but she's alive. She is. And that's that's something to find joy in. But allow yourself to to have those feelings because I oftentimes, I was, quote, encouraged by this poem. Um, And I don't know if you've heard this poem before, but it's this idea of, um, there's a poem about uh, giving birth to a child with disabilities. It's like planning a trip to France, but you end up landing in Denmark. Have you heard this poem before? No, no. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was spoken over to me so many times that it was almost like I'm exhausted by it. Please don't tell me this again. But, right. uh, yeah, essentially the idea is like, you know, you're planning up all these expectations about how beautiful and wonderful France is. France has this um, uh, unique beauty and culture and pace that is, is what you desire. But when you get on this plane and you land in a different country with a different beauty and a different language and a different culture and a different pace, you know, you have to just acclimate to you're still in a beautiful place. You're still in a, in a beautiful culture and it's just different. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. And, and I had to grieve through the not landing in France, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, allow yourself to go through that grieving process. Because, yeah, your expectations are not being met. But if you just allow yourself to sink into the beauty of this new space, you really can feel so much joy. And it doesn't feel, maybe it doesn't feel like it right now, but it will. Um, it really will. I, I can't tell you the amount of joy that Cosette has brought us. Um, you know, yeah, the, the lows have been really low. But, man, the highs have been so high that um, I just couldn't have, imagine like life without her being there because you know she could have died that day very easily um and I could have had to bury a daughter but instead of I got I got a daughter that I can can love and to nurture and uh find joy in a different way than than my other daughter too which you do with any of your kids but you know the experience is definitely different when you have kids with disabilities so yeah I guess it would be like if you were on just like a really rocky flight and you were crashing to your death and you survived, but you lost your luggage. But you're like, shit, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I'm alive. Like, you're, starting, I'm alive. you're appreciating everything that you just went through and you're, you're, you're able to just be a whole different person and just enjoy who you are and enjoy your situation. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, well, it's I lost a, my favorite pants. Oh, well. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Well, and it's it's a, a deeper sense of purpose. Like, I have a really close friend that they're – their daughter ended up uh, with a much more severe case of CP than Cosa ended up with. Um, they, they talk about that too. Their journey has been just an awareness of, of, of how deep those, those feelings are. You know, we've got the lowest lows with in this, this life as parents with a child with disabilities. Our highs are so high because we understand that, that our daughter has a deeper purpose and of how she, what she produces, you know, she may never walk or never speak or never eat independently, but man, she's beautiful and special and wonderful because she is. And, and she, you know, cause that gave that sense of purpose to us, that a deeper richness to our life, that just beautiful. Um, and again, like I, I, I kind of experienced that, but when it's your kid, you know, I'm sure your mom was like that, and mom, mom was like that too. You know, just sink into that, those feelings, and just revel in that you get to feel them at all. Because I've walked through um, experiences with friends that had to bury their babies. Sure. Yeah. You know. Well, and it seemed like she was probably close to you know joining the other three as well. I mean, same with yeah. me. Like I, I, yeah, I was supposed to die. I, I was four, so I was born. But yeah, and that's you grow an attachment, especially the mother. Um, because, oh gosh, yeah. Because you, you know, they, we came out, we come out of you, and 
yeah, it's you can't dwell in all that. You have to like she she's her and I have a good bond and everything because we were she stayed in the hospital four and a half months of me when I was dying and and, and my skin came off and and everything that happened to me. Um, and it's kind of like with with you, it's it's just we came out of it with I was still on feeding tubes and I'm now legally blind, but it's like where I was, I didn't have skin, I didn't have hair and, and all these things. All that came back. It just now my eyes are are worse, and um, yeah, you just can't be counterintuitive. You have to really, in a way, kind of be advantageous and, and take the situation you have and, and make it the best you can. You can't just um, and if I learn how to find joy in it, sure. I, yeah. I know that's the hard part. You know, you there really is something on the other side. Yeah. But that's the mental health part of it, too. That's where, you know, when you're in such bad places, uh, and this can go for the for the person who's going through the problem or, or the, the parent, if you're going through such yeah. bad grief and, and just, just, just depression and it's overtaking you, it, it's really hard to see that little glimpse of light. But if yeah. you can see it, that means there's something. And if you can just continue to kind of pull yourself, like grab the rope and continue to pull the light gets a little brighter and and you just you just keep going even if it takes forever sometimes maybe you fall back a little bit and you just got to grab onto the rope again and pull up but you're going to have setbacks um yeah you're going to have that that's yeah, true you're going to have relapses but you just you just keep going and and yeah it, it's and and I mean I say this for myself currently I say this for anybody we all go through issues and it, and it's really hard to look at the brighter side of everything when you've been through a lot of hell and then and when you go through more and more through life it's really hard to look at the positives because you're always looking over your shoulder like when is the next thing coming but it it's, it doesn't mean it's coming and and if you do dwell on it so much it's almost like when something does happen it's just like ah see i told you and you you spent yeah. so much time looking for it that you don't even really know how much time had passed that really maybe years went by that you could have enjoyed but you were just constantly looking for that negative thing to come and and you didn't enjoy the life that you had at that point and yeah I, you know i was talking to somebody last night just about enjoying your good days uh, with in her case, physically, just in, in, yeah. in mind with my vision uh, or mental health, enjoy those good days because we, when we're in those like that dark smog of our depression and we're dealing with our physical ailments, we tend to sit there and dwell on the things we didn't do in life, uh, even if it's yeah. little minute basic things like I didn't wash the dishes. We tend to we tend to hone on that and go, oh man, I should have done this, I should have done that. Well, when you have a good day, don't waste it. Because you know yeah. sometimes it's far in between, and when you have a good day, just do the things you didn't want to do, um, you know. And if it's like, oh, I want to, there, there's, there's, I want to do more information on what I have. I need to do some research. While you're having a good day, do it now because the next time you're in some yeah. physical pain or whatever, you're going to just go shit. I should have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, it's, you just, it, there's no, everybody deals with their pain differently. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong answer, really. I mean, there is some wrong answers, sure, and there's some right answers, but people, again, people go through it differently. Everyone's going through different uh, issues. I mean, that's why it's so hard to kind of bring, you know, one of my big goals is to just do my part. I'm bringing the disability community together, but it's so hard because there's so many different variants of us. And we're all, yeah, yeah. we all deal with our issues differently. And, and Yeah. And all the di issues are differently and you're a different part of the process too, that I know that my, my daughter is very young, you know, I'll get to hear her end of the story, you know, many years as she walks us out, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Um, but you know, everybody has a different variation of it too. And you're playing a different part as well, you know? So, yeah. Thank you for bringing awareness, though. It is a very important. Just trying to do my little part. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, it is very lonely as a parent. I know you didn't walk that out, you know, not the same way that your mom did. But it's, it's, it is a hard path to, to be on, um, especially when you feel alone, you know. Yeah, for sure. So. I mean, even if you have your husband and so on and, and 
your daughter and all but yeah it, it's well and I, I told my I've talked to my husband about this many times I said you know we were on the same path uh, we're in the same parallel path we weren't we didn't experience the same journey though yeah. um, because I was her day-to-day caregiver um, I was the one that was like physically guiding her body every inch that she earned we earned it together kind of thing um, but I also didn't know what he felt like feeling powerless to, to watch his wife be rolled away, mm-hmm. wife and daughter be rolled away in the emergency room. And, um, you know, it took a couple months almost for us to, to emotionally be able to stop and go, Hey, you know, by the way, like, what did you go through? Like when I was rolled away to the OR, you know, did anybody come talk to you? Like, (laughs) you know, what were your experiences that day? And, um, you know, the times that we've had to, um, you know, sort of navigate this during COVID, um, and he's not allowed to be a part of any of the doctor's appointments. He's not allowed to be a part of literally any part of this process. I had to do it on my own. You know, how has it felt? You know, what is, what have you gone through (laughs) throughout this? this as well you know it's been interesting for us to both sort of come to terms with our own the own journey we were both on um, which we both felt powerless for different reasons yeah i mean as a man who's supposed to be quote-unquote the protector and and yeah they're all leaving and there's no detach maybe has less attachment now he's detached from the daughter because she can't be around him and you know, and then, yeah. you know, maybe neglect because, you know, everybody has needs and affection and all these things. And it's like, man, I can't even just like be with my wife. I can't be with my daughter. It's, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, he, he, yeah, it is. And he experienced an immense amount of, I guess, fear because, um, he just, it, my husband's an engineer. He, he likes to, to be able to have, know all the variables. Right. And, um, for him, he kept saying, you know, uh, basically like, what if, and I'm like, well, what if it, you know, it, not that it, it, you know, we have a two story house, right? So what if she can't walk? Okay. Well, let, let's just like regroup for a while. We don't know whether she'll be able to walk or not, but he was like ready to sell the house immediately upon diagnosis. He's like, we're selling a house. You're going to get a one story, <laughs> story house. But that's the type of person he is. He he wants to fix it. He wants to make it better. But he sort of felt powerless to a process that was beyond us. It's true. You know, we can't control outcomes. We can just do our best with what the the next step, right? Next best step um, ahead of us. So yeah, it's um, it's been an um, interesting experience to sort of see how both of us reacted to parenthood, um, our different roles in Cosette's story. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter as long as you, you're still together and still doing, you know, you're both dedicated and uh, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. terrific. Uh, I, I didn't ask you beforehand, but do you have anything to promote? Oh yeah. Um, well, I, uh, one big part of our story, I think probably you're aware of, but um, I did start a nonprofit with the intention of, teaching about the inherent dignity of the human person Um, because that was a big part of of that journey of really just reinforcing that every single person on planet earth is in possession of a an inherent dignity and inherent value that is worthy of our protection Um, you know a lot of my human rights work that was a big part of um, you know just a reality that I faced where you know everybody is um all these cultures are measuring dignity by different values um, rather than everybody being equal. Uh, they're, they're saying, well, Hey, you know, I can, I can enslave you based off of your, your um, religious association or, you know, and cause that having a disability, uh, that's another way of saying, Hey, you know, you don't have as much value as I do because I I'm normally able. So uh, this, nonprofit sort of came out of that ambition and that drive to make sure everybody understood that they were loved. Uh, the name of that nonprofit is dignitydefense.org. If you can go and find out more about um, our mission 
And then we also have a podcast called Pro Dignity Don't Doubt as well. What's the so, uh, what's what's the subject matter of your podcast? Like, what's the that that's basically it's very similar to what yours is actually, which I was very happy when um, we got connected. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to tell stories very similar to what you're doing with yours as well. Uh, people that have gone through really difficult times, um, sex slavery, um, conception and rape, uh, adoption, addiction those sorts of things. And we just really just dive into the stories and we try to um, tell people they're not alone. Sure. Just like what you're doing, but also to make sure that they know that um, they do, they are valuable. They are loved, you know, and despite what some cultures may say, you know, yeah. So. Well, I'll whore myself out. If you ever need a guest or need anything, just let me know. I oh, I'm into that. Yeah. I'd love to hear more of your story as well. Yeah, well, I, and I would love to stay in contact and be friends, and you know, I'd love to yeah. keep an eye on Cassette and make sure she's going to grow into a great young lady, and you know, I'm sure she's in good hands. So, um, yeah, but yeah, no, I'd love to just keep in contact, and like I said, you need anything, just please reach out or someone to talk to. Uh, hell, I can yeah. even get you in contact with other mothers who have been through similar situations, including my own. So. Oh, no, that sounds wonderful. We do, um, for as isolated as it has been, you know, I've definitely gained a lot of community from this. It's been wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. Um, did we cover everything that we needed to? If you need to throw I think in something, so. you'd be more than welcome to. Oh, no, I think that's, I think we've covered pretty much anything that I can think of at the moment. Okay. Well, I, I really appreciate you telling your guys' story. And, and I mean, you're just a brave person. I'm, I'm very happy that you you and her uh, made it through and, and you're both alive and thriving however you, mm-hmm. you are. And, and so just please keep doing what you're doing. And like I said, we'll, we'll keep in contact soon. Thank you. I appreciate you chatting with me today. Yeah, same here. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon and uh, take care, okay? All right. Bye. Alright guys, I uh trying to keep trying to mute the mic every time my stomach growls because I am a hungry boy. Uh, and I'm gonna go get some food. But before I do that, I just wanna just check in with you all. I hope all you guys and gals and goblins and ghouls, I hope you're all doing wonderful as best as you can. Um, you know, I had a good Thanksgiving. Yes, this is the day after Thanksgiving I'm doing this, even though it's coming out much later. Um, and just try to find things that you're thankful for, regardless of how small they may seem to you you or others, just please, um, just try to find some value in it. Um, and you know, she's, uh, Nicole's a very good example of that because, you know, she could have died through all that and she could have lost her daughter. She could have lost a lot. She could have lost everything. And then she's, she's here to tell her story and then get past this crazy storm that she was in and, um, and, and bring the positive. So, uh, I'm going to try to be better at that myself. <clears throat> so, uh, I thought maybe there was something else I wanted to add, but I guess not. Of course I would, you know, I like to bring bullet on the mic, but my bullet is no longer here. Uh, I mean, he's in this, he's in this apartment and he's alive. He's just, uh, I don't know where he went. He was laying next to me, and then he started to try to cough up a hairball, and I had to mute the mic for that. And he doesn't really cough him up. It just I think he just gets a little hair in there, and then he goes, heh, heh. And then, you know, after about 10 of those, he just kind of, he's good. So, um, yeah, so he's, he's probably in the bedroom or something, but he is okay, and uh, he he sends his love. But um, And for those who, if this is your first episode, Bullet is a cat. Um, a very adorable cat, very loving boy. He just, he is my co-host and he tends to participate sometimes, um, including being very, very destructive by moving the mic away from my face. So, uh, it, it really disrupts the conversation, but he's loved and spoiled so he can do what he wants. Um, I am not his master. He is mine. That's kind of how it goes. Even though I've never liked that whole, you know. I own him type of thing with an animal. I never, I never looked at it that way. I've looked at him as just a family member, you know, a loved one. Uh, and I mean that for any animal that is con- considered a pet. Um, 
But anywho, I'm going on a tangent. Thank you, Nicole, um, for telling that great story. And I hope you all have a great day, great week, weekend, so on and so on. Uh, we will be back here again next week. And just because I don't have it recorded doesn't mean there won't be another one. Because there will be. Because this is so far in the future. Or so far... Uh, well, no. I, this is so far in the past. Because I've done so many of these. I'm still doing this in 2022. So you can bet your dollar that I will have had a bunch more done before this one comes out. So, um, same time, same channel. We shall... Um, yeah, I guess I'll dedicate this episode at the very end here just to say to dedicate it to my wonderful friend, Miss Johnson, who passed away recently, and I love her dearly. Uh, maybe I'll say something in the beginning, but I appreciate her and, and just say rest in peace. And uh, I will see you guys next week. Bye, Evra Balte. Oh, I hit the wrong button again because I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Bye, everybody. See you next week.